So I want to start with a question. Um, of course you do. This is called this is called Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. Secrets being plural. Yeah. Is there more than one secret down there? Mm, yes. There is? Um, let me see. Chamber of Secrets. So I'm guessing the first is the giant snake. Giant snake. Also called a basilisk. Uh-huh. But what about Tom Riddle's ghost down there, you know? I guess, but the the diary's not in the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, but I mean, no one knows he's the heir of Slytherin. Another secret. I guess. Does really, does, yeah. Even if some people know, it's not, it's still a secret for most. No, no, no. I don't really think there's more than one secret. I think it was just a cool name. That yeah. Rowling came the up The Chamber with. of Secret doesn't really sound good. Yeah, it doesn't even sound right, you know? And then Secret Chamber is the wrong kind of a right. thing. It's, well, uh, actually, technically, that'd be the right thing. That's maybe what she should have called it. Harry Potter and the Secret Chamber. Because it's a secret chamber, not a chamber of secrets. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting indeed. Let's start the show. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Afterthoughts. This is a podcast where we rewatch movies and we compare our first and second impressions of those movies, and then we discuss a related topic. My name is Joshua Kazemi, and I'm here with my co-host Cole the Coleman Taylor Thomas. Hi. <laughs> Today we are talking about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for no other reason than just I like well, we like to watch these movies around the holidays, right? Yep. There's always, they're just fun because they always have like a Christmas like time period in it where uh-huh. they do something during Christmas, even though it's kind of like blown over in this movie, but mm-hmm. they usually make a big deal about something in Christmas and it just seems like a nice family holiday movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot, well, at least I think these first two came out around the holidays. That might be true. And I think maybe the other ones were like summer releases or whatever, but I, I feel like a lot of them came out in the fall or winter time. So it's just, it's just Harry Potter season. <laughs> Harry Potter season. <laughs> and we've talked about um, The Prisoner of Azkaban. That was one of our earliest episodes, so you can go back and listen to that. I might, I'll probably link it in the description so you can get there quicker. Uh, and so we're just going to talk about the second one now. We should eventually probably work our way through all these. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, Chamber of Secrets. Before we dive into our first impressions, Coleman's going to take us through the plot of Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> all right. So, I know we're not going chronologically. We've watched the third, and now we're watching the second. So, let me catch you up to speed. Harry Potter found out he's a wizard in the first movie and went to Hogwarts, which is really a weird name, like Warts of a Hog. Anyways, no one really thinks about that. But he goes to this wizard school, saves the day, and goes back. And it turns out his muggle family, which if you don't know what muggles are because you haven't seen Harry Potter, it's people without wizarding powers who aren't wizards and witches. Uh, his muggle family pretty much just hates him uh, for no other reason than being a wizard, really, because his parents were wizards and they thought they were weird. Anyways, so he's stuck at home. His friends haven't written him. Oh, turns out this random house elf named Dobby has been keeping all of his letters, and his friends really were writing to him because they were actually good friends. Way to have faith, Harry. Anyways, um, yeah, but so he's locked up in there and Dobby like ruins his life and he gets more locked up because they think Harry's the one who did it. And so the Weasleys, his best friend, have to break him out. So they break him out, take him back to his house, Ron Weasley's house with his family. And Harry thinks it's awesome. And then they leave from there to go to Diagon. Di- I can't even say it right because what Harry Diagonally. says is me. I know. <laughs> so they go there, get their books, and they run into Draco Malfoy and Lucius Malfoy, and they make fun of him. And the new teacher of the school who's really pompous about what he does. And if you're not paying attention, you don't see Lucius Malfoy drop a secret book into Ginny's cauldron. Ginny's cauldron, sorry. Um. And they go back to Hogwarts, which they have to take a flying car because they missed a train because Dobby is just thwarting all of their efforts to get to school. And they finally make it to school and are already in trouble immediately. And then as they're just going through their daily school lives and getting picked on by Malfoy and whatnot, 
these people and animals start getting petrified, and no one knows why. And it turns out <laughs> Hagrid took the blame for opening the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago. Again, if you're not a Harry Potter fan, Hagrid is like one of Harry's mentors, one of his, like, a father figure to him. And, um, yeah, he's like, it's not Hagrid. So now we're on this quest to find out who's opening <laughs> it this year, who opened it 50 years ago, and what even is the Chamber of Secrets. And that's that's really it. That's their quest to find the, the three trio of, of Harry, Hermione, and Ron. Mm-hmm. The second adventure in their seven-year adventure. I know. Oh, man. Okay, so first impression. I remember seeing this when it came out, and I love this one. Always love this one. It feels... It feel, it's always felt to me like a one-off, almost. Like this random little side adventure, because it doesn't really add too much to the overall adventure. Oh, that's rude. But all right, keep going. <laughs> but I feel like because of that, it's, it's sort of... It can, it can be forgotten. Like, it, it's not... It, I, don't, I feel like it doesn't come out very often as some of people's favorite movie or book like the chamber of secrets sort of gets forgotten because uh, because the, the things take off at the end of three and then at the it's like every books after three has like a huge turning point for the whole series at the end whereas this one is like a, just another fun second year but i but i've always enjoyed it for that too because it's it's sort of different in that way like you can just kind of watch chamber of secrets and it's this fun little piece it almost feels like it resolves itself at the end and then that's it. Well, if we're talking strictly first impressions, I just liked it because it was a Harry Potter movie. It might have even been the first Harry Potter movie I saw. Huh. Because I didn't see the first one till later, but I know I saw this one in theaters. So I either had to have seen the first Harry Potter just randomly, like outside of theaters, mm-hmm. or I just saw this one first. I don't remember. But huh. I really liked this one. Yeah. Um. I hadn't read the books. I didn't read the books till after I saw all the movies, so I didn't know what was going to happen. And just in 2002, little boy Cole liked this magical little story of Harry Potter. Yeah, so magical. So magical. Ugh. That's the one thing I like about about the first two books and the first two movies a lot. They feel not more magical, but they're, they're innocent. They're more innocent stories. They're lighter. They're not as dark as the series gets. So they feel light and magical and fun. Like, they feel like these light, magical, fun introductions to the world as they should. You know, we fall in love with magic like Harry does. Yeah. So these ones, these these first two are so great. And they're just so mesmerized about everything that's magical. Mm-hmm. By books like three and four and on, I don't think many more magical aspects are introduced. I mean, maybe some concepts that help the plot along, but yeah. not just like every new thing you see is something magical that Harry's never seen before. So that yeah. does kind of get lost after these first two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you did you think this was gonna hold up in a rewatch? That was the oh, last yeah. time you saw it. Uh, it's been a few years. Uh-huh. I don't remember. I thought it was I gonna to- hold up as well. I totally thought it would hold up. But I think I saw this like last last Christmas, probably <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah, it hasn't but, been that long. I just don't yeah. remember when. I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's been probably two years for me. Mm-hmm. Or oh. no, it's whenever me and Brett and you kind of too watched all these movies together. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't too long ago. Yeah. And have you been playing Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle? <laughs> <laughs> I did play it once. Isn't it awesome? Yeah. It's so right. fun. This also made me want to watch the movie and talk about it because there's <laughs> this great board game that we've been playing. Uh, it's this deck building, amazing Harry Potter game. It's so fun. This cooperative game where you get to play as Harry, Hermione, Ron, and Neville. It's just a blast. It's very fun. Nice plug. I like it. You're welcome. <laughs> Please sponsor us. Nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be great. I would love to have board game sponsors. Then we could oh. just do movies based on board games based on movies. <laughs> Forever. An eternal loop. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, man. Okay, any other first impressions? No, it was pretty simple. I yeah. was young at the time and just an easy movie. Oh, yeah. All right, let's dive into seconds. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, first thing, I, I, I press play on my DVD player and then I realized I forgot something, so I pressed pause and I noticed... This movie is two hours and 40 minutes long. <laughs> no. Did you know it was that long? Oh my gosh, no, I didn't. I, I had didn't no idea. Not only it is it that long, it's the longest one. <laughs> this movie is the longest Harry Potter movie in all of them. How is that possible? Like, the books get so much longer, but yet Chamber of Secrets is the longest movie? That's crazy. I yeah. had no idea. 
I'm guessing it's because uh, we've talked about this before, how the first two followed pretty strictly to the books, but the right. rest deviate and yeah. kind of take their own turns. And I think <sighs> that's what has to do with it. This just stuck strictly to the book and its material. It's crazy. I was not anticipating that. And I started watching this, you know, at like 11 at night or something. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I didn't finish <laughs> watching it till like 1230 or something. It was, it was crazy, crazy long. I can't believe it. Okay, okay, okay. But general, what's your general takeaway, second impression? I think it's a lost, forgotten Harry Potter movie that's great. Yeah. I don't care what anyone else says. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I like it too. I've always loved Chamber of Secrets. I've always, I think the first two are just forgotten, lost Harry Potter movies that are wonderful. <laughs> I love it too. I really do. I like... I, I, I probably like the book and the story better than the movie, but the movie is a great adaptation of the book. Yep. It and really I would say is. the same. I th- I think a lot of what I like about it is more attributed to J.K. Rowling rather mm-hmm. than the movie, which it, it's really hard to say in these ones because, like we just said, these like stay so straight and strict to the books that there's not much to just give credit to the movie. Like I still mm-hmm. think it's a great representation of what the book has in it, but it's hard to say – Oh, but this was great just because of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great adaptation. I don't think it's necessarily a great movie. It's not like, it's not boring by any stretch, but it does. You feel its length, you feel its pace as a movie, and what keeps you interested is the great story, the great characters. Yeah, you know, like like the first I wrote it down. The first like real plot point that's like Harry hears the basilisk. That's yeah. like forty five minutes into the movie. <laughs> you know, like like you could cut 15 minutes out, out of the movie and that would have come at a great point in the film. Yeah. Because there's just every little moment is filled with like all of these great details, but they're, they're details that aren't necessarily crucial. Yeah. You know, you could have cut a lot of little things to trim this movie down. But then I might like the movie less. It's, it's strange. <laughs> I know. Because what I like about it is just like in the book, all these little details add up to different things throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Like most details aren't just throwaway details. They're These are going to come back later if you're paying yeah. attention. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really enjoyed about it, which again is attributed more to the story than the movie. But still, it was it's just awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about the follow the spiders scene. Yeah. Because I just kept thinking, this does not need to be this long. <laughs> it's really yeah. long, and they get, it like, is. two little bits of information out of it. Yeah. It's, like, a really great chapter of the book, but within the context of this movie, I wasn't sure if that sequence needed to be that long. I know. <laughs> and Hagrid just sounds crazy. Yeah. Like, to... <laughs> Who is it standing there? So fudge, I think. It's like, why are you saying this right now? Yeah, you yeah, insane yeah, yeah. person. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and then Dumbledore just knows that they're there. How does he know that? Because he's Dumbledore. Uh, or if you follow the best. theories, he's Ron Weasley in a different time traveling Ron Weasley. Oh, that sounds kind of awesome. You know, like fan theories are crazy and you don't want to give them too much. But that sounds kind of awesome. Doesn't it? That would be. Yeah. I would love it if Dumbledore was a time traveling Ron, but that <laughs> there's no way that's possible. But it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. would be cool though. Oh, Dumbledore and the last performance of the original Dumbledore in this movie. You know? No, yeah. I know. He was I loved so this Dumbledore. He's so great. Such a good Dumbledore. I did like how much was packed in it though. I you do feel the pace at one point, but I remember the thing that really made its length stand out to me. I didn't actually look at how long it was I just until the end. But when he doesn't end up... Because I remember he gets Tom Riddle's diary. And he didn't get it till like at least an hour and a half in, maybe longer. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a crucial part of the movie. And I was like, oh my goodness, this movie really is long. Like there's so much more to go from here. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, but I also like how much is packed. Like... The different phases of the movie, I would say, I guess. Like, when he has Tom Riddle's diary, when they're trying to figure out what the Chamber of Secrets is and who the heir is, when it's just, like, Harry trying to figure out why he can speak Parseltongue, all those different things. Like, yeah. usually, I just think they pulled it off really well. And again, this is probably, I sound like a broken record, more attributed to J.K. Rowling, but <laughs> usually when you throw that many things in, it's it loses its cohesiveness. But I think this overall 
stands up pretty well cohesive wise yeah and it, it makes it it does it really makes it feel like it is this entire year at school yeah, yeah like this long epic one year adventure and that that's it, that feels good in this case like the length feels like yeah it should be that long it's his entire second year at hogwarts and jk is so good at like writing sequences of events like this happens but this happens, therefore this happens. And it, everything follows that. Like, every little detail uh, begets another detail, begets another thing. And it, it all feels really strongly connected. Yeah. And I think some of the movies go wrong when they eliminate certain details. Because they don't right. feel as strong. Right. But everything has a purpose. And that's what's so great about her books. So that's why it's hard, I think, when they started making film versions of the longer books. Like, what do you cut out when every detail is important? Oh, could you imagine if they were all nearly three hours long? Oh, my God. I would love it. <laughs> That'd be crazy. What if the seventh book was were both two-parters and each part was almost three hours long? That'd be nuts. It would be awesome, though. It would really be cool. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. I wonder, also, I wonder if they shot – I'm sure they did, but I wonder to, to what extent they shot, like, almost everything and then just trimmed it down in the edit bay. Like, are there crazy director's cuts that could be really long? (laughs) A five-hour Harry Potter movie. (laughs) I can't imagine that being the case for this one. I feel like they got everything. Yeah, they must have. Although, in the book, doesn't Harry has the diary for longer than he does in the movie, doesn't he? Maybe I think so. I I just have vague memories of him like having more conversations with Tom Riddle. Yeah, me too. Just writing whenever he can, you know. Mm-hmm. Also, this is the last one where there's an actual Quidditch match, I think. Unless there's one in the third one, but I can't remember. The oh, third one has the Dementor one. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Because from the fourth one on, for sure, they're just gone. Like in the movies? Yeah. Well, Ron becomes captain, and they do yeah, that a little but bit. we don't actually see the games or anything. Yeah. Like there's, And they usually tie into some kind of plot point. Yeah. And they just gave up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Push comes to shove. The Quidditch matches were the first thing to go. I know. Which is a bummer. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the Quidditch matches in uh, four. Yeah. The World Cup. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't it like in the movie, it starts and then they cut and it's over. Yep. It's just yeah. like Braum or whatever his name. Yeah, that's Bra- a bummer. Crumb. I don't remember his <laughs> name. Um, just like, oh, yeah. And then it cuts. Yeah. Man, these books are so good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> They're so rich with so many great details. It's such a fun world. She did such a great job building this world. She really did. And, like, it's not as it's not as though she invented the idea of wizards. What, what she did was create all these amazing details of a wizarding world. Yeah. You know, so cool. That's such a great thing. And I think it's part of it, too. Like, we have – we went into it with these preconceived notions of wizards – and then she was like, you know, this is this is how it would really be, and it just it 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 makes it that much easier to step into it and suspend your yeah. disbelief. And then it's funny though that she also keeps some of the like completely generic, like over the top tropes, such as them yeah. riding on brooms and yeah, yeah, yeah. things like that. I always thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool that she that you just have little things like that throughout. But it's like a whole world of them. There's just a whole world of people who fly around on brooms. It's not just like this crazy old lady down the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. <laughs> is there, are there, is there anything about the book or the movie for Chamber of Secrets that uh, has ever bothered you? Like any plot points or details that didn't seem right? Um, not plot points or detail wise. Mm-hmm. I even like the. What's his name? The, like, fake teacher? Oh, um, Skilderoy Lockhart? Yeah, him. Yeah. I like his presence in the movie for whatever reason, and the books. Just that he's so over the top and so bad at everything. Yeah. I don't know. There's just so much so much there that I enjoy. I mm-hmm. I can't think of anything you would get rid of because I feel like it would affect the book and movie somehow negatively if yeah. you took it out. I had one thought in this rewatch. So it makes sense to me that um, after Moaning Mortal dies, um, that nobody would check would go into that bathroom because she's annoying. That makes sense to me. But, but her parents would visit her, right? Have you ever thought about that? Her like, parents her would parents, visit her? 
Like, would you, like, if you were a ghost, don't you think, like, your loved ones would, like, come visit you every once in a while? I feel oh, like they maybe. would. That was a thought I had. Like, like, if you're a ghost, do people just give up on you? Like, oh, it's just her ghost now. We're never going to visit her ever. Mm. That was just There's a some explanation about ghosts in the books. Like, she goes into detail about, like, what they are and, and how it doesn't, I don't think it's, like, it would be a fulfilling sort of exchange or relationship to have with a ghost. Yeah. Similarly to, like, the people who are in paintings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who can, like, talk, but not... It's not a real sustainable relationship, I don't think. All right, whatever. <laughs> but I just thought, like, it makes sense to me that nobody would, like, go into those bathrooms or check or anything. But the ch- w- wasn't the chamber constructed way back when, when the founders of Hogwarts were there? Like, he, he constructed it and then left, right? Yeah. And then waited for his heir to come back. So yeah. what about all the time between construction and the death of Moaning Myrtle? There was this faucet in the girl's bathroom that never worked that had a snake carved on it, <laughs> engraved on it. Yeah, but if you don't speak parcel tongue, which like no one does, yeah, how's it ever going to open? But I mean, it's just like no one was ever like, um, hey, Filch or whoever it was at the time, <laughs> this faucet doesn't work. And it has a snake engraved on it. So <laughs> this is fishy. Don't know what that's about, but come on. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. <laughs> me either. Maybe, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Like, maybe you really would just be like, oh, that one doesn't work. I'm moving on to the next one because there's yeah. a million. But one thing about the movie specifically for me is just the acting is not that great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always going to be true. The kids were kids. <laughs> I know. But some kid actors are really good. And then, yeah. Specifically, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. I'm, I think he gets better over time. I definitely do, yeah. I think when he was a child, <laughs> yeah, not his rough. best. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. And it was interesting, too, because like, over the course of the movies, the emotional range that Harry has to display also increases. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's getting better, but his job's also getting harder at the same time. Yeah. Like he's better sure. in three, but in three he has to do that whole, he killed my parents in the snow or whatever. Right. It's not a good scene. <laughs> oh poor Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> No but I remember thinking it specifically in the first one Because in the first one there's so many scenes where He doesn't actually say anything And someone says something to him And he doesn't reply with words He replies with some kind of facial expression And they're like never good They're always <laughs> A very poor attempt at conveying that which is really hard. I'm not ragging on Daniel Radcliffe. I think he does fantastic later on. It's just these first two movies were a little rough for him. Yeah, I would yeah. Say. And he, they weren't like, uh, they don't ruin the movie. Uh, by know? no means. It's just like, you know, you're, just a, you're a kid. I get it. Wow. <laughs> but he's a great Harry Potter. And yeah. Did a wonderful job. There's one tiny little thing. It doesn't really connect to anything else that I've been talking about. But like one thing I noticed that I really liked is that Ron's robes are noticeably duller than everybody else's. <laughs> and I never really noticed that. Like, his he, are hand-me-downs. And it's such a cool detail. Like, wow. I would have I, never no- I still haven't noticed that. No, yeah. Like, the next time you watch, I guess the second one, I, don't, I can't remember if it's, if it's that way in the third. Well, I mean, they start wearing, like, regular clothes. After. Right, yeah, yeah. Or in the first, I mean, if it, they're like that. But definitely in this one. Yeah. Like, Harry and Hermione's robes are, like, a crisp black, and his is, like, almost gray. Ridiculous. It's crazy. It's such a cool little detail. Ridiculous. <laughs> also, this is, again, to J.K. Rowling. A, a crucial thing about this uh, is just the diary itself and it being a horcrux, which we don't find out till books later. And it just makes yeah, yeah. me wonder every time. Because this is the first and only one they destroy one without knowing it. And then at all until they start hunting for it. So did she know that this yeah, was going to be a big thing? Or was it like, oh, my goodness, I can use this in my grand idea. And I just always thought that's so cool that she takes little things like that in these previous books. And while that doesn't exactly stand out in this part, it stands out so much later. It's like, oh, that's so cool that you tied in what happened here that we thought wasn't that important to this later part. Mm-hmm. And how it brings mm-hmm. to light these bigger things. Oh, yeah. That was cool. That is really cool. I've thought about that too. And I've thought about like, but I've also thought like, what about uh, Quarrel in the first book? I, maybe that doesn't count as, I mean, it definitely doesn't count as a Horcrux. But why doesn't it count as a Horcrux? Yeah. Because he's a person? <laughs> Harry's a person. 
That's true. See, yeah. So, like, I, I always wondered that, and I wondered, like, maybe maybe she was just trying to do this thing of, like, I'm going to try to hide him in, in things for a while until he comes back. Yeah. Um, so maybe she had that going and then realized, oh, this one can be a part of a bigger Horcrux thing. But, yeah, I've always wondered why Quirrell wasn't, like, counted. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you ended up liking it. I wasn't Me sure too. if you'd like it or not. Really? The second time around. I didn't know. Yeah. No, I, I totally did. It was, it was a blast. It, it is a blast. <laughs> well, that's all I got. Me too. Let's uh, let's read some, uh, some recent tweets and comments we got let's before we it. head into topic time. All right. So I'm going to read this comment from Eric Vela on our YouTube channel. He says, uh, this is a comment on our episode on Wally from a couple weeks ago. He says, I know I'm probably in a tiny minority, but I think the edit of Lynch's version of Doom, where they, Dune, excuse me, where they don't have the internal monologue is an example of a bad use of no dialogue. Uh, that said, adding the audible thought bubbles didn't do much to improve it either. <laughs> this is from one who has never read the book, though. <laughs> Kubrick's The Shining was a good use of, <laughs> was a good use of boredom. Nobody to talk to, nothing to do. Whoa, sorry, hang on. The weight it must have had on a recovering alcoholic. His version is very distilled, simple, and to the point. In contrast to Stephen King's The Shining, which was a ghost story. Ghost stories need more dialogue. So that was an interesting uh, point he was making, too. Like, the movie had less dialogue because it was a different sort of take on the story. Mm-hmm. It's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. I still want to read and watch The Shining. Yeah, you need to do that. I've yeah. never read it, but the movie is... The movie's great as its own thing. I will Definitely. probably hate it, honestly. <laughs> Just because <laughs> yeah, of, it's a Kubrick movie, but whatever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then we got a, uh, a tweet about the same Wally episode on Twitter from at Naked Porch, the Naked Porch podcast. And uh, so he saw the thumbnail that I made for the episode with Wally in it. And he said, LMFAO, I looked at that image and immediately was like, Johnny Five is alive. I'm old AF. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness and if you do a simple google search a google search they do look very similar <laughs> <laughs> yeah a simple google search yes they they look real similar and i wondered like if people were talking about that when wally came out and i just totally missed that conversation <laughs> yeah we're too young <laughs> all right time for topic time topic time this week we're talking about Kind of a niche topic, but I like it. I think it's going to be fun. We're talking about any time in any major film franchise where there was a distinct change, whether it's a change in the director or style or what have you. Uh, and we're talking about that because of the Harry Potter series. And after book two or movie two, there's a clear change between Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban. So we'll talk about that and some other stuff. Yeah. You want, should we start with Harry Potter? Let's start with Harry Potter. Man, so I think I probably mentioned this when we did the last Harry Potter episode, but when the first, oh, I definitely did because it was first impression. When the first, when I watched the third movie for the first time, I hated it <laughs> because it was so different. Yeah. And now it's one of my favorites because it was so different. But yeah. when I was a kid, it was like, this looks different. It feels different. What happened? I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but looking back, I was, it was such a necessary change to like, like, bring forth some longevity in this series. Like, if it kept going on the book one, book two route, I feel like people would have gotten really tired of it. Yeah. this The third book, or third movie, was like a nice sort of injection of energy because there was a change. I still wish, and I might have said this when we did the review over it, that it was more subtle, though. Three is such sure. a drastic change from two, and I still think yeah. I hold that against it. I wish it was just some... <laughs> Like a more subtle, like, yeah, we're getting darker and more serious, but we still have the, like, magical aspect and the being mesmerized by everything that's around us. Like, I wish they were more mixed. And then by four, you're, it's just switched to what it is at that point. Yeah. He's no longer mesmerized by everything around him, and we've become this more serious series. I wish three was just more of a mixed bag of that to lighten the way rather than just, boom, different. Yeah. Yeah, it's jarring for sure. Yeah. And the, and the thing I still don't really like is that, like, 
I feel as though the geography of Hogwarts changed in the movie, too. Yeah. Like, things aren't where they were in the first two movies, and the landscape of Hogwarts is different. Like, the walk from Hogwarts to Hagrid's is a straight path in the first two movies, and then in the third movie, it, they, they walk down this, like, winding hill. <laughs> yeah. Why is it different? Like, why is that different? Yeah. That still kind of bothers me, but I guess it's fine. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I also always wondered like what it would have been like if the last couple of movies broke it up a little bit. Like the last three or so movies are directed by the same guy, David Yates, mm-hmm. who also directed Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. And I always wondered like what it what what would it have been like if the sixth one or the seventh one was a a wholly a totally new guy or or woman and it just was like a a similar sort of change to like bring in some new life in the last couple of movies. Yeah. I feel like maybe that would have benefited the series because the, they start to blend together. Mm-hmm. It's true. I, I still think it's interesting that just a new director can just change. So, and I'm sure there's push from the studio as well because they knew this change was coming, but it's just interesting to see how just changing who is in charge can change so much of the outcome and yeah. how different it is in the same franchise. Same franchise, same world, same characters, but still so different. Like how Harry Potter 1 and 2 could have been like 3 and on if directed by different people. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's ever a talk, though, between like the studio and the directors, specifically in franchises. Like, oh, this is the turn we're taking, so we want it to look and feel more like this. I I bet there was. Maybe not specifically for Harry Potter, but I'm sure that conversation happens like... People sit down and they're like, we need to take this franchise in a new direction. I mean, I don't, I don't want to change the subject, but like DCEU pretty clearly like had conversations about like w- taking fan reactions to certain movies and then trying to change the upcoming movies so that they, you know, addressed fan concern. Like yeah. people thought this movie was too serious, so we need to make them a little more fun, have inject a little more levity. And I think we are seeing those crazy conversations happen last minute changes <laughs> yeah. to some of the DC movies, which is unfortunate, but I'm sure those conversations happen and I'm sure they happen in like positive ways as well. Yeah. <laughs> if they were early enough on, along to make those changes well. All right. You got, you got another example? Uh, fast and furious. Ah, yes. Right. Right. Like the fast and furious movies weren't fun or good until Justin Lin came along and made awesome movies. <laughs> okay, that's what you just said is up for debate, but I'll I'll let you have it. Justin Lin's are the best. How about that? His movies of those of the franchise are the best. No, ones. you're you're absolutely right. He definitely re-energized and changed completely what the franchise was about. I mean, mm-hmm. just like we've talked about when reviewing it, how the first one is just this movie about stealing one. 18-wheeler, and then the rest of the movie is just completely about racing. And now they're essentially like international spies. <laughs> it's like yes. an international spy movie with some car scenes in it. Yes. It's totally it's changed. so much more fun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows if that was all Justin Lin, you know, but whatever happened, whatever change it was... It was such a good one because it's also a franchise that was going from like the fourth movie to the fifth movie, and that in that change sort of reinvigorated the entire franchise. And now we're going to like we're barreling towards a ten movie franchise because that one change got people back on board. I know we're like, yeah, let's do it, (laughs) or maybe not even back on board. I feel like it drew more people. Oh man, okay, I want to bring up a bad example. Do it, X Men. So we had a great X-Men movie by Brian Singer, a second great X-Men movie. I'm also, I'm pretty sure also by Brian Singer and then third X-Men movie, bring in the rat, Brett Ratner. (laughs) Is that what you call him? (laughs) To ruin it. That's what a lot of people call (laughs) him. Wow. So, okay. Brett Ratner has some, he's got some great movies under his belt. He has the original Rush Hour and that's probably his best one. (laughs) So one, he's got one great awesome, movie, in. you know. It's a good one, uh, but yeah, he came in to do X Men: The Last Stand, and it just, uh, and who? I, I honestly don't know if it's his fault, you know, because it seems like there were problems with that script. 
for sure. But maybe, you know, conversations he had about the, his vision for the movie affected script changes or whatever. But either way, like, that movie is just bad. Yeah. Uh, and it's not even, like, fun bad, you know? It's just what's happening here. It's, like, it's crazy. Yeah. And unlike the Spider-Man trilogy, where it, it was Sam Raimi the whole way through, this was, like, it, it, there was a clear person to blame because there was a change in the directors like yeah. oh everybody's just gonna blame him because he's the he's the the noticeable change yeah although i really i really wonder if it's him though in that situation yeah. just because i feel like a lot of it is on the writing as well mm-hmm. that movie just did not have a good story it was too many different stories crammed into one yeah so I'm, like... I'm sure he had some part in that but uh, it can't be completely his fault but i agree it's true that no matter what we the first and second one were really good although i would like to go back and review those as well because i wonder if it was just really good for what we had at the time and watching that's, now if we that's were very likely the case. i still i still think they'd be good i don't think they'd be bad by any means but i think they would not be as good as we remember them yeah yeah which gives a little credit to three but nonetheless, it's still one and two are definitely better than three, and there's a clear change in three, and it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I do not enjoy <laughs> watching three at all, while I still watch enjoy watching one and two. Yeah. I mean, two in particular is so yeah. cool and so good. Mm. Mm. And then later on in this same franchise, you had a terrible third movie. Yeah, a terrible prequel, X-Men Origins, <laughs> which we have talked about. We have talked That's about. That's a fun episode. But then you bring in a new guy michael vaughn to do x-men first class and everyone is like everyone is back everyone's like this is a this i remember when first class came out i didn't see it for a while but no one would stop talking about it everyone was just like this one is really cool and really good i mean you watched it and when i finally did i was like oh yeah i get it this is like fresh uh, like breathing in new life in this franchise it's like the sixth movie Mm -hmm. in this franchise and it was like watching the first one again it was so cool yeah that was for sure a completely changed for that franchise. Mm-hmm. It's when it got good mm-hmm. again. And now we're in this weird cycle of like, we need to get a new guy in here because, so Brian Singer came back for Future Past and that was great. Mm-hmm. And then he did X-Men Apocalypse, which was not great. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's got another one coming up and we're, I feel like we just like, nah, man, pick somebody else. <laughs> we need like, we, like, it'd be nice to keep having new people injecting new energy into this franchise because... Yeah. I just think that's necessary. Like for 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 comic book movies this long, I feel like new directors each time is probably a better. You're better off that way. Similar to like the MCU is 20 movies long, yeah. and there have been a lot of different directors to come in and breathe in new life. And uh, one thing for the MCU though that makes it easier for them is that most of their movies, while connected, are centered around a different person or a group of people. Sure. And then bring them all together sometimes. But then you can easily have someone direct a Captain America movie and then a different person direct a Thor movie because they're already such different characters and have such different Mm -hmm. feels to them. While X-Men, you do that a little bit here and there, but mostly you're following just Wolverine and his crew in some form or fashion. Yeah. So it's harder. I think it's harder for them. But I agree. For longstanding comic book movies, I think you should, even in that case, you should switch directors more often yeah i mean unless there's like a tight concise trilogy that you're trying to tell for comic movies i think changing them out is probably better Mm -hmm. you know because i mean that speaks to comic books as well i mean the creative team behind different comic book runs is always different and that's part of the fun you know it's a different adventure and a different feel for each sort of run and so i think that would work well with comic book movies too have you seen the trailer for the new one Yes, yeah, that one looks cool. The New Mutants. Yeah. Like the horror movie-esque kind of thing. I like that a lot. Looks creepy to me. <laughs> I had this realization the other day. I think that's what I'm very hungry for in terms of like big blockbuster movies. I want more like weird, like genre blending kind of stuff. Yeah. Like there there was a trailer that came out for this. Um, it's called Batman Ninja. <laughs> and it's this anime movie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's coming out of Japan. And it's it's like this weird time travel story where Batman and all of his crew go back in time 
Um, and they, they're not ninjas. They're, sa- they're clearly samurai, but it's like samurai Batman. And it looks so cool. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. I want these weird stories where like you, you genre blend and do these weird, crazy things with characters that we already know. Like that sounds really fun to me. Yeah. So I don't know if, if this X-Men movie is going to be any good, but I'm excited about the idea. Yeah. Although it sounds fun. that idea is so trendy. So I'm also scared for movies like that to start coming out and then everyone jumping on that idea and just, yeah, just, <laughs> I'm not saying we shouldn't do it because of that, but I, absolutely. I feel like we would just run it dry and yeah, do that every possible scary. thing that we could blend. <laughs> yeah. Here's one I don't think we researched, but I just thought of, what about, I wonder how many different directors did the James Bond series, like all of them. Yeah, I mean that one spread out guys. on so many different years and decades. So mm-hmm. I wonder if just because I'd like to look to see if they had different directors for each movie, even in like the decades, or if it was similar directors throughout. Like, do all the Daniel Craig ones have the same director or no? I think Sam Mendes did more than one of them, but yeah. I'm gonna double check that. Yeah, because I've always wondered if it was it like each bond had their own sort of signature director and then when they moved on they got a new guy or if it really was just like new director every time yeah i don't know that's a good one to have uh, researched yep sorry no no nah. <laughs> oh here look at this nice nice clear clean list on the wikipedia Ooh. the oh, wikipedia no, as i call it i've never called it that in my life until now but whatever <laughs> so sam mendez did two of them all right and then you had two different guys for Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, which makes sense in retrospect. Yeah. Those movies are very different. But actually, like, it looks like, well, so Pierce Brosnan had a different guy every time. That makes sense. Oh, whoa. Martin Campbell did Goldeneye and then came back to do Casino Royale. That makes sense. Wait, which Casino Royale? The uh, uh, Daniel Craig one. Okay. That's pretty cool because he, both those movies are great and both of them were introductions to new bonds, so it sounds like he's the guy to do that. Yeah. But John Glenn did a lot of them, it looks like, in the 80s. Like, had a string of, like, what is this, one, two, three, four, five of them. Nice. Had two different bonds. So, wait, which one, which one's Quantum of Solace? Is that the second or third one? In That's the second one. And then which other one did Sam, or which two did Sam Mendes do? Sam Mendes did Skyfall and Spectre. Okay, that makes sense. So, he did the yeah. third and fourth. Yes. Because for some reason, I couldn't remember if Quantum Solace went, if it was second or third. And that would have made it that Sam Mendes did two and four, which would have been interesting. Oh, right. Yeah, that would have been interesting. But whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered what... Because the Bond movies just feel so similar to me. And so I was wondering if that had to do with director or not. Yeah, I think there's there's a pretty solid group of like producers that work on the Bond films. Yeah. Makes sense, or at least for good for good chunks of them. Yeah, man, there's so many Bond movies. There are tw- they're going to be 25 Bond movies. Oh my goodness, that's so many. I'll, but I mean, the MCU is barreling towards that number. That's so true. That's crazy that they <laughs> output that many movies. Yeah, man. Oh my goodness. Yeah, man. And it's like regardless of whether or not you love the MCU or like the MCU, like what they're doing is this crazy, unprecedented thing, and it's. It's like this this moment in blockbuster cinema. Yeah. And that to me that alone is exciting. You got another example? Yeah, we should let's let's uh let's close out this topic with the biggest one, I think. Let's do it. Although I did want to talk about Batman for a second, but let's I mean Batman is sort of Let's you know, do we can do Batman for a second. Yeah, all right, okay. So you, you had like you had two Tim Burtons. Mm-hmm. And then you had some crazy Joel Schumachers. <laughs> 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 real clear differences right <laughs> and it's crazy to me that like those four movies are considered the same like series yeah because they're, they're so, so different. different it's so weird and like i don't even know if like the story really tracks throughout the whole thing it feels like one and two a crazy third a crazy fourth yep that have nothing to do with each other oh. i know and they and not only that, you have a different Batman in 3 and 4. Yes, it's strange. So it's not only, even though they're all considered the same, not only do they feel different, but you have different people at different times, and you keep some of the same ones. And, and Val Kilmer looks nothing like George Clooney, but you have the same Robin and the same 
Oh, I'm drawing a blank butler. Alfred. Uh, Alfred, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. It, it's just so bizarre. And yeah, he's and- a, it's the same one guy in all four, right? For Alfred, at least? Yeah, I believe so. That's crazy. <laughs> but not only that, now that you... It's just also interesting to see that one franchise, and then now into the one... Well, next into the one Christopher Nolan's, which I completely attribute that change to him. Mm-hmm. And then now the new ones, mm-hmm. you can definitely see the changes that were there. How the first four were like these goofy, like the vil- it actually felt like a goofy old, maybe 50s comic book or just like, oh, the Riddler is some kind of like crazy, no one you would actually see in real life to um, Nolan's being more grounded in kind of reality. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was interesting. <laughs> And it's interesting to I think for the Batman movies or at least that first four is that I think people really liked the Tim Burton Batman and then I think I think the second one I think people look back on it as a great movie but I think at the time it was a little divisive because it got kind of dark and I think studio the studio wasn't super happy with that or at least that's, that's, that's what the rumor is the so, only one I haven't seen oh man yeah you should check it out I mean it's interesting to say the least yeah. um, but I think. So bringing in a director who was going to have a radically different approach was intentional on the studio's behalf. Like, we need to change this up. And then for whatever reason, Val Kimmer left. So <laughs> just made it even that much more like, know. distinct and different. But, yeah, well, I think that's a case of, like, let's bring in a different director to make it different. Well, full disclosure, I love 3. I love Batman Forever. Batman was And fun. all its terrible... Gloriousness, because by four it's just ridiculous. There's so many one-liners and it's terrible. Three mm-hmm. has some of that, but not as much because I feel like Val Kilmer is more stoic than George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely a guilty pleasure one for me. For yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's end on the biggest one. Okay, Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars, the long epic saga. So many different directors. And so many different, man, so many different, like, approaches and results, I would say, mm-hmm. from all the different directors. And I think it's clear, like, the guy who's directed the most of them <laughs> has who? received who the most that? <laughs> critical feedback. Who are you feedback. talking about? I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Mr. Lucas. <laughs> Mr. Lucas. Directed the first, you know, episode four. Great. Mm-hmm. Obviously a groundbreaking movie. Yeah. And then didn't direct them again until 1999, until the prequel. He let other guys <laughs> come in and make the fifth and the sixth, which I think was like, what a great decision he made to let someone else come in. Like, he worked <laughs> on the stories and then let other people direct these different sort of episodes. Because, I, I mean, the whole, the whole idea of Star Wars and that they're episodes and that there's, like, the crawl that explains what's happened since the last episode. It, mm-hmm. like, like, he – I feel like George envisioned this, this series – to be like these episodic adventures with an overarching story, but still like this is episode four, this is episode five, this is episode six. So to have a different director each time, like that's it seems to make sense for this franchise. Mm-hmm. And then he directed all of the prequels, and you know we know where that led. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. And it really is interesting to just see the difference in feel between all of them because mm-hmm. they all. Uh, well, not all. One, two, and three all feel the same. But four, five, and six do not all feel the same. No, yeah. And I think that's the strength of the original tr- trilogy. Right. Five and six feel so different from one another. Uh-huh. And now with these new ones as well, not just the feel, but the look. I mean, obviously you're going to have a different look between the old ones and the prequels. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there wouldn't be that much of a look difference between the prequels and the new ones, but there are, and I think that's really intentional. Yeah. There's not as much CGI going on and different directors, well, not too many, but just directors bring their own approach to it. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I like what JJ did, but I'm also really excited that he's not directing this one, that, that Rain Johnson is doing it. Um, yeah. And it, this is what makes me a little nervous about JJ coming back to do the third because yeah. I do kind of want a different voice. I know. But we'll see. I mean, I don't think I, – I doubt J.J. is going to do a bad job. I think the worst he could do is that it doesn't live up to, you know, the previous films. 
Yeah. But I think JJ he's going to make a good movie. my full approval. Yeah. I agree that I'm nervous as well, but as far as uh, making a good movie, he absolutely will. Yeah. And I'm, I like that it's, you know, I'm happier that it's JJ than it was Colin Trevorrow, the guy who directed Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, because that's, that would have been interesting. <laughs> well, I'm excited for the franchise mm-hmm. and I like that they're switching it up and can't wait to see. Yeah, and I definitely want them, like, for all these side stories that they want to do, I want them to, I want a different director for each one. Yeah, for sure. They announced that, I don't know if you've heard, that they announced that Ryan Johnson's getting his own Star Wars trilogy after this. Mm -hmm. He's just going to have his own separate story, has nothing to do with the Skywalkers, and it's a Star Wars trilogy. Interesting. And and I guess he hasn't, it's kind of strange. Like, the, the language has been Ryan Johnson's star wars trilogy so whether or not that means he's directing all of them or if he's just writing them or producing them but he's going to be involved with the trilogy i think that's interesting and that could be cool but i would love it if if he did the first and then maybe wrote all of them or produced all of them and then gave them to different people yeah i don't know or maybe because as i said it earlier maybe if it's this concise trilogy then he should stick on and just finish it out yeah we'll see we'll see it just depends on what it is, I guess. Yeah. And if it's good, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because technically the prequels, I would say, are a nice, concise trilogy. But <laughs> I'm excited, though. I like – this might be just because I like Rogue One so much. Spoiler for future episodes. <clears throat> <laughs> um, but I enjoy these side stories that aren't just about the Jedi and Sith, but just like the people of this world. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And delving into that, I think would be cool. Like how this, what everything that's going on affects like everyone in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it just makes the galaxy feel larger. Yeah. I think it's important. Sure. It makes, it hopefully will make the stakes grander if we feel like this universe is larger than just the Skywalkers. Yeah. All right, well, that's all I got, man. Yeah, me too. Sweet. (laughs) All right, let's wrap this up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Next week, I believe we're talking about, is it Jumanji? Maybe. I think it's Jumanji um, because Jumanji, no, 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 excuse me, it is it's Rogue One. All right. We're going to talk about Jumanji. There you go. Spoiler alert. But Jumanji is next, or Rogue One is next week. Uh, in prep for uh, Rogue or uh, Episode Eight coming out on, I'm watching it on the 14th. I'm watching it <laughs> like wow. it's literally like a midnight showing. I'm yeah. super excited. But yeah, so we'll talk about Rogue One. You can tune in for that. Uh, watch that movie. Come back next week. It's gonna be a fun one. And yes, if you want to keep supporting the show, it'd be great if you could tweet out a link to the show when it comes out on Monday and share it with a friend. That would be great. If you want to write us an iTunes review, that would be awesome. Or Comment on YouTube, send us a tweet, and we'll read it off on the air. That would be great. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next week. See y'all.